Here in this space, we're going to turn our attention to uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Uh, By the way, a happy birthday. Happy birthday. This is the birthday of the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday, which means uh, that uh, the church universal, the church of Jesus Christ, was born Today And today is Pentecost when we acknowledge the birth of the church through the power and working of the Holy Spirit in and amongst the people of God. And so we turn to uh, this sacred text, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, to hear afresh the story as God's Spirit moves in power amongst God's people. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these Who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. This is God's word, the word of the Lord for the people of God. So we give thanks to God. Uh, Would you bow for a moment in silence as we pray together? Father God, Lord of all creation, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you for your presence with us, your presence amongst us, and most especially for your presence in us through the working and power of your Holy Spirit. What a gift it is to be able to gather around your word, to hear the truth of who you are for us and who we are in relationship to you. So we now ask, Almighty God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see 
open our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, that we come to know and understand your word and your will. Our hearts be opened. Our hearts be opened so that we might feel your power. And then in response, gracious Father, open our hands that we would offer grace to the world on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. As this weekend has been a time for graduation, for commencement, for celebration, uh, I think about uh, uh, students uh, that I've talked with over the years, uh, those that were filled with, with natural ability and everything in school seemed so simple for them. And I also think about students for whom it was a, it was a slog. It was difficult, it was, tr- it was drudgery, it was work, it was a challenge. I remember one student in particular who, who seemed to be an overachiever, to, to achieve beyond what their natural uh, abilities would be. And I was having a conversation with her and I was asking her, how did you do it? How did you make such good grades? How did you achieve uh, in such extraordinary fashion? Uh, It seems like you just worked at it and grinded at it. How did you do that? She responded, I asked lots of questions. And I listened. I asked lots of questions And I listened, and I think that that really is, in so much of life, such an important lesson for us. We are to be a people that ask lots of questions, that seek understanding in as many ways as we can find it. And as we ask lots of questions, hopefully along the way, we're going to ask the right one. Ask good questions. And maybe even one of them will be the right question. Now, at the very end of this passage of Scripture that we arrived at together, uh, it says, uh, in an almost a humorous sense, some people wondered what was happening there. They were doubting what was going on, and they said they must be drunk. These people had too much wine. It's early in the morning. They must have had a long night. I mean, that that was what was said. But right before that, if we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by that, if we go just one verse earlier, we get a question. The question of Pentecost. And I think this is not only a good question, I think it's the right question. And it is the question for us today. The Holy Spirit comes in wind and fire, it rests upon the people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And, and people are able to hear the wonders of God. And the people, the crowds that come out and listen, they ask a question. They say, what does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? What, what, what does this, this scene mean? What does this fulfillment mean? What does the Spirit of God mean? And, and rather than, than sit in a, a perplexed wondering, rather than dismiss the whole situation and say they must have had too much wine, we have the fullness of the story in the context of the Holy Scriptures and we're able to dig deeply and begin to respond to this question, what does it mean? And I would offer for you that first and foremost, 
It means that the Spirit of God is for you. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is for each and everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. All those who confess with their lips and believe in their heart will receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The beginning of this is that the Spirit of God is God's promise, God's presence for you. We see this, uh, this Holy Spirit come at Pentecost in two forms. Forms that would seem familiar to us. Wind and fire. It says that it's like the sound of a violent wind. And I, I want you to, to allow a little space for that violent wind of the Spirit of God to not be some calm, nice breeze. Sometimes the Spirit of God is a calm, nice breeze. And we just sit and we relish in it. And we're like, oh, isn't that pleasant? Falls here. And sometimes it's like a violent wind because the Spirit of God needs to do something transformational in your life. And you can't just have the calm Spirit of God in order to experience that transformation. You need a violent wind that knocks you off of your feet and sets you back upright on the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus the Lord. Sometimes that violent wind is exactly what we need. This wind This wind of the Spirit acknowledges that this is the eternal presence of God. That same wind of the Spirit is there for us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God. That word Spirit there is the word wind. And the wind of God was hovering over the water. Same word, spirit, wind, God's spirit from the very beginning. This promise, this God's presence for you is God's eternal presence available for you. I want you to sit with that for a minute. This isn't just the Spirit of God in the here and now, in the difficult situation, or the celebratory situation that you are in today. That's not it. This Spirit of the living God that is present for you is the eternal presence of God for you. God from the very beginning. God before your mind's awakening. God before you could even imagine it for you. This wind of God is eternal and is there for you. What kind of perspective, what kind of wisdom, what kind of clarity is available for you and for me whenever the eternal spirit of God comes? This spirit comes in wind and it comes in fire. This spirit comes in fire, and when we see in Exodus, uh, we, we see that God's presence is a presence of fire. First, we see the fire in Exodus in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, whenever we uh, see God moving uh, with uh, Moses, inviting him 
to intercede, God shows up in a bush, in a fire in a bush, and the bush is not burned up. And so Moses moseys on over to look at this thing that's happening because it doesn't seem to make any sense. And that fire is God's presence. God even says in that moment, whenever Moses looks upon this, hey, because I am here, because my fire has come and I am present, where you are standing, you should take off your sandals because where you are standing is holy ground. God's fire, God's presence is a holy thing. And that holy presence is for you to come rest on you, to be available to you. God has availed his presence for you. But it doesn't stop there. You know the story is Moses goes to Egypt and we have this long encounter with Pharaoh, with plagues and much trial and tribulation. And finally they, uh, they, they are granted their liberating freedom by God. They, they cross into the wilderness and as they are in the wilderness, they are guided by God. God is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's fire is God's presence that will direct God's people stage by stage, step by step, every single day. God's presence is available to guide all along the way. And, and, that, and that guiding presence is a refining presence. The whole purpose of the wilderness is to, to move God's people, people from a place where they are enslaved, dependent on their worldly masters, to a place where they would be uh, enslaved, dependent to their relationship with God, restoring the right way that we are created to be one with God in that relationship. And so that pillar of fire is guiding in the presence of God day by day. You see, this spirit of God is for you. And when we see this in Acts chapter 2, I want you to, 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 to open up your lens, your frame a little bit to see how magnificent this is. When they gathered there in Jerusalem, those that had chosen to follow Jesus, those that had been obedient to Jesus' instructions when he said, go to Jerusalem and wait there because I will give my Holy Spirit to you there. Those that followed Jesus' teaching, the, the Spirit of the living God did not discriminate amongst those that believed. Because some of you, me in fact, in, in times of my life, I wondered, what have I done to be worthy of the Spirit? Am I actually able to receive this holy power? But here's the beauty of it. It didn't matter what they had done. It didn't matter who they were. The Spirit of God was present and available for all who believed. It, it was there for Matthew, who, who, who was a tax collector. It was there for Peter, who denied Jesus. It was there for James and John, who were fighting to see who was going to have the most esteem worried about their self-interest above Jesus's interest. You see, the Spirit of God didn't discriminate there. It, God said, I am here for you if you call on my name. If you believe, Spirit of God, for you. So when the crowd 
wonders. What does this mean? What does this mean? First and foremost, it means that the spirit of God's presence is for you. The spirit is God's presence and it is for you. And the second thing it means, it means that God is faithful. Pentecost means God is faithful. It means God is faithful first because Jesus made a promise in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. It's going to come up on the screen. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. This is when Jesus and his disciples were journeying from the upper room to the Mount of Olives. Jesus told his disciples this. If you love me and keep my commandments, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. This advocate is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. This is Jesus' promise. And so whenever we ask, what does this mean? It means that God is faithful. If Jesus makes a promise, that promise will come to pass. It also means that, that God is faithful to, to the meta-narrative of Scripture, the journey of Scripture from Genesis chapter 12 through Matthew chapter 28 through Acts chapter 1 over and over again. We see that God is about not just the narrow but about the wide, not just about the few but about the many for the entire world. In Genesis chapter 12, whenever God makes covenant with Abram, God says that I am going to bless you and, and then the world, the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Did you see that? It wasn't just about Abraham's uh, blood, flesh and blood descendants, but it was about the, the flesh and blood of the entire world that would be redeemed and atoned for by the blood of Christ. You see, this is going to be God's blessing for the world. And when Jesus uh, meets with his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he calls upon his disciples and he commissions them for a work. And he says, go to all the nations. Go to all the nations and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Genesis 12 this is for all the nations. What I'm doing is for all the nations. Matthew 28, this is for all the nations. And then in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is in all nations to the end of the earth power. God is faithful. God made promises, and God is living up to those promises. When we see Pentecost, when we experience Pentecost, when we celebrate Pentecost, we are celebrating God's faithfulness. Now, you might have lost me when I was reading that passage of Scripture earlier. You saw a bunch of names of communities and countries and people groups, and you didn't know what the heck it meant. Well, I have a map for you to help you out so that we could, we could orient ourselves to this, There's going to be a map that comes on the screen, and it's going to depict for us uh, where all of those regions are. You see Rome way up on uh, the northwest from Jerusalem, but you see all of the regions. Whenever, uh, whenever uh, Pentecost takes place and it records all of the people groups that were there that heard and received the power of God, here's what it looked like. 
It was everywhere. It wasn't just north, south, east, and west. It was northeast, southeast, northwest, and northwest. It was every single direction. Those, those names, those regions, weren't just random. It was, uh, it was representative of the truth that in Jerusalem, God chose Jerusalem intentionally because it was from there that the world would gather and from there that the world would know of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. God's power available for them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's redemptive work that is for you and for me. What does this mean? This means that God is faithful. This also means that the Spirit of God communicates for you. The Spirit of God communicates for you. Now, I know that, that whenever we get to this point of Pentecost, there, are, there have been uh, some, some debates amongst Christendom from probably that original Pentecost day until now. What did this look like? What does it mean? What do tongues mean? What do we believe about tongues? What do Pentecostals believe about tongues? What do holiness people believe about tongues? What do Protestants and Catholics? There are all sorts of questions about what tongues mean. I'm not going to answer all that for you right now. Uh, we would be engaging in a historical conversation uh, that, that I'm sure each of us have done some uh, wondering about. But I want to frame it up like this for you. We learn that Pentecost means that the Spirit communicates for you. And so I want to begin with something that seems familiar for you and resonates for you, I hope. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, we hear about the activity of the Holy Spirit with regard to communication. It says, in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans wordless groanings and he searches our hearts and knows the mind uh, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God we know that the spirit of God communicates for us and we could we could have that resonance with man I've sat down to pray in the middle of something mind-boggling, and I don't know what to say to God. I'm just absolutely dumbfounded. I'm just sitting in silence, and it seems my mind and my mouth can't actually articulate what's going on, but I sit in that space, and you and I have come to rely and depend on the Holy Spirit to do our talking for us. I mean, and for, and for some of us, some of us, people like me who like to talk, who are very natural talkers, when we get to that empty space where we got no words, man, is something serious to be able to rely and depend on the Spirit of God to be our words, to articulate for us what we cannot articulate on our own. And so the Spirit takes our inward groanings. The Spirit is able to interpret even those things that have no language and carry them to the heavenly throne of God. 
And so now when we hear that the the Spirit communicates for you, that the purpose of the Spirit's communication is to consistently articulate the wonders of God. This is the purpose of tongues. And And the beauty of the Spirit's Pentecostal movement is that the wonders of God was the entire purpose of what was taking place. In Acts chapter 2, I hope that you heard it because we were listening to all of the different locations, all of the people groups, and then we, we broke free from that. And then at the end of chapter 11, it tells us the purpose of Pentecost. What does this mean? We hear them declaring, the word of God says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. The spirit that communicates for you is consistently communicating to the world around you the wonders of God. And when you don't have words to articulate the wonders of God, God, through His Spirit living in you, is able to represent that and communicate that to the world. This is not about you. It's not about me. This is all about God receiving worldwide glory for the wonders he has done in and amongst us through the working of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. The spirit is God's presence for you. God is faithful and the spirit communicates for you. Now, I know many of us, particularly those of us that were raised uh, in, in, uh, in a Protestant church as I was, in the Methodist faith, uh, we might have been, uh, over the course of time, a little frozen. Some might have called us the frozen chosen. Uh, we might have known who God was and had uh, an articulate mental assent. There was a knowledge of Scripture and a knowledge of who God was, but there was was little to do with the Spirit of God. I remember I was a part of a cohort of learners, pastors who were learning uh, how to deepen uh, their, uh, their development together. And uh, we did a, a session, a week-long session on preaching, and we submitted different sermons. And it was interesting because we had uh, someone come in to evaluate our sermons, to give us a critique, to invite us into deeper engagement. And one, and one thing stuck out for me, the only, actually the only thing Thing that still sticks with me from that week is the, 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 the one that was listening and critiquing sat before these Methodist preachers, some of the best preachers I know of, and said, I heard nothing about the Spirit of God in any of your sermons. Are you Trinitarian or not? I heard I heard a lot about God the Father, and I heard a great deal about Jesus Christ the Son who gave his life for the sins of the world. But I heard nothing, she said, about the Holy Spirit. And that wrecked me. I mean, it has been deeply convicting that I would be acting as though I did not fully embrace or believe in the Trinity because I was operating in a father-son mentality and I totally ignored the Spirit of God, which is power and presence and communication for you and for me. 
And why did I do that? Why did we do that? It's because we thought that believing in the Spirit wasn't refined. It, it, was, it wasn't enlightened. It, 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 was, it was too raw. The Spirit of God might move and we might become embarrassed. Have you ever uh, looked at someone who you believed was encountering the Holy Spirit in worship and thought to yourself, man, I'd be embarrassed if I was them. Don't you worry. You're not alone. That's okay. But we got to move from that. Because here's the reality. The Spirit of God might be embarrassing Because it's not about you or me. It's about proclaiming the wonders of Almighty God. And whenever someone is encountering the absolute magnificence of our Heavenly Father, we are just drawn into uh, into a, a different space. John Wesley lived this out. He was someone who had just an extraordinary knowledge of Scripture. He was someone, by the way, John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement. Uh, he, he actually uh, would, would be perceived as the founding father of probably a third of Protestantism today in the world. And whenever we hear of John Wesley, we hear of someone in his early days who is deeply devoted, who was sold out for Jesus, who knew more than I could ever hope to or we collectively could ever hope to imagine about Scripture and about who God is. And yet, in the midst of that, he still had not experienced the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you knew this, but earlier this week, we celebrated Aldersgate Day. Uh, in, the, in the Methodist movement, Aldersgate Day is uh, May 24th, nine, uh, excuse me, 1738. That's not 1938, 1738. Uh, and on May 24th, John Wesley experienced a conversion, experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, he encountered in a new and fresh way. It says that he went to church that day very unwillingly. Have you ever come to church unwillingly? It's okay. The Holy Spirit could work still, right? So, so John Wesley came, came to church that day very unwillingly, not too excited about getting up and going to church. But while uh, there was a preface uh, to Romans uh, chapter 8 was being read, here's what it says. Wesley then wrote in his journal uh, at eight, that at 8.45 p.m. that night, while the, the leader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Jesus Christ, His heart was strangely warmed. Something about the spiritual fire of God resting, dividing, and resting on us. Acts chapter 2 lived out in John Wesley's life. And he felt, I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me uh, that he had, in fact, taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You know, this, this... Pentecostal fire, the spirit that comes as wind and fire rested on John Wesley. His heart was strangely warmed and the world would never be the same because from that moment on, his preaching came with more vigor. His desire for the nations was was more fully fulfilled. He even brought the word of God to the Americas and we are different because of the spirit resting on him. 
Who will be different because the Spirit of God has rested on you? Who will know of the wonders of God because the Spirit of God dared to be presence in your life, dared to communicate on your behalf, proving to you and to the world that God is faithful and God loves each and every one of us, inviting us into relationship through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that through you, through me, through us, together, the world would never be the same, not because of what we did, but because of what the Spirit of God does through us and in us. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary thing it is to learn of your spirit, to be convicted of this truth that that you are faithful, that you made promises of your spirit, that your spirit was there from the beginning and continues to the end of time. And so we pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit on each of us gathered here. Lord, let us get out of the way whatever walls we have built up to try to prevent your spirit from coming into our life. Lord, tear them down. Let them be as dust. Let them be nothing. We we, we rebuke and reject those walls. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Fall afresh on us. Rest on us, come as wind, come as fire, come in us, we pray. We need you this day and every day. What does this mean? What does this Pentecost moment mean? Let it mean that we and the world will never be the same because we've known you. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, I pray that that you would bless these gifts, that you would bless the givers, that all that is done in this space and time would be for your glory, honor, and praise. Lord, use these gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.